Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you will, to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Y'all know what this week is? It's our best week yet. It's Christmas. This might not seem like a Christmas passage, but that depends on your interpretation of Christmas. That, inter- that depends on your, have we gotten blown away by the red and the white and the snow and the white Christmas and the trees and the lights and the presents. Hey, all that's great stuff, man. I, I love all that stuff. At Hallmark movies, the same eight actors, the same ending, no matter how they start. They always end up together, right? Just happily ever after. Yep. Hallelujah. Only in the movies. They haven't met 2020 yet. But even in 2020, we can still celebrate the birth of a king, still celebrate a reigning king, a king that's made you alive with him in heavenly places. He's seated you in heavenly places. Amen. You're royalty. It's because of what we celebrate this week. I just, I don't want to get lost in it, you know? And look, that's, that's not just me being a pastor. Well, you have to say that. You pastor a church, right? You, you have to tell us, don't get lost in the presence. Don't get lost in the trees. Don't get lost in the lights. But hey, I don't want to miss out on what God has for me because it's been Americanized and it's been reduced to a tradition. Amen. Even Jesus said, we miss the commandments of God for the sake of our traditions because of what we make it out to be. And so God has something he is doing, he wants to do. And it all begins right here, Galatians chapter four, verse one. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time, everyone say time, the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. That's our former life. That's our BC life. That's our pre-Jesus life. Under bondage, under the elements of the world. But verse four says, but when the fullness of the time, everyone say fullness. The fullness of the time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. There it is. There's our, there's our Christmas verse. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Go back to verse four. It says, but when the fullness of time, the fullness of time had come you know God he's always on time right he's an on time God he's not a late God he's not an early God he doesn't give you something before you're ready but he's never late you might think he's late you might think he waited too long you might think he missed the boat you might think that he's missed the opportunity for him to show up in your life and do what he's supposed to do but it says that even the birth of Jesus even what we celebrate now December 25th of this year, we will celebrate the birth 
of Jesus. That's not literally when he was born. He wasn't born on December 25th. That's when we celebrate the day. But this gives us an even bigger glimpse, global glimpse, into not just why Jesus came, not just how Jesus came, but when Jesus came. We don't know the exact day he was born. We don't know the exact moment he came into this world. But we do know this, when he came in, it was at the right time. Look at your neighbor and say, he came at the right time. He came at the fullness of time. This word fullness actually translated, this Greek word fullness, it means this, completion. It means completion. It means to arrive at the conclusion of something. So there was something that had to finish before Jesus began. There was something that had to come to a conclusion. Jesus came at the right time. God didn't just throw his finger down on a calendar and say, when should we send him? Oh, fine. let me see when I have an opening here. He's got his little appointment book out. You know, when's a good time to send Jesus to the earth to redeem mankind back to me, bring him back into the kingdom? When, when's a good, when are they, when are they ready? When are they receptive? When, when is the conditions right? And just throw his finger down and say, this is it right here. I have an opening. December 25th, 10.30 a.m. Can you fit me in? No, he was looking for a specific moment, a specific marker, the fullness of time. Now, anybody, do I have any history buffs in the room? Anybody like history? Your, your history, got one back there, a couple here. I'm a history guy. I like history. So just, you know, oblige me. Just for a moment, don't fall asleep on me. I know it's raining outside. I know you didn't bring your, your most, you know, history-ready, uh, you know, ears today. But let me just give you a little backdrop. I like context. I like backdrop. I like to know what's going on. I like to know the setting, if you will. Give me the setting. Well, 750 years prior to Jesus arriving to this world, Israel, God's people, are overthrown by their first enemy, the Assyrians. If you remember, they went to the prophet Samuel, Israel did, God's people, and they said, we want a king. And God said, no, you don't. And they said, yeah, we do. And they said, fine, I'll give you a king. And he's going to, he's going to rule you the way men do, not the way I do. Not with your best interests at heart. He's going to care about himself. Your, your women and children are going to end up slaves. And ultimately, you're going to end up falling away from me. And guess what? After 40 kings, most of them bad, most of them rebellious, most of them sinful. I think like eight were good out of 40. That's not a good percentage. Eight righteous kings. The rest of them blew it. The rest of them missed it. And eventually, God said, I've had enough. I'm handing you over to your enemies. You don't abide by my word. You don't live by my standards. I'm your king. You want to you wanna do it your way? Go ahead. And they were overthrown. And in 750 BC, 750 years before Jesus, Israel falls to the Assyrians. In 612 BC, 612 BC. So what's that? Uh, 62 years later. They're handed off, taken into exile by the Babylonians. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Remember Daniel? 
and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? You remember those guys? Didn't bow down to the large 90-foot statue. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. That was the Babylonians that came in, took God's people, brought them into exile into Babylon. Eventually, they released them back to their hometown, but their hometown, Jerusalem, was nothing like it was when they left. And then they got overthrown by the Persians, got captured by the Persians in 539 B.C., ended up under Persian rule. From there, they were handed off to Greek rule, which just a little side note for all my history buffs, the rest of you, you might not even care. But the reason why we have the Old Testament translated into Greek today is because they were brought into Greek rule, and it was their custom to change languages and all that stuff. And so the word of God made it all the way on through. Amen. No matter what comes against you, no matter what what tries to overtake you, God's word is always going to remain. Amen? And it'll even make it easier for you to understand in the midst of it. I thought that was pretty cool. And then in 63 BC, so 63 years prior to Jesus' birth, the Roman Empire, this large growing Roman Empire, overtakes Jerusalem and brings in Roman rule into Jerusalem. This is the setting by which Jesus is born. Those are just your cultural settings. Let me give you the spiritual setting. By the 750 BC, when they were overthrown by their first enemy, the Assyrians, God has already decided, I am divorcing Israel. What's that mean? That means I'm not gonna be a party to someone that doesn't also wanna be a part of this covenant. I made a covenant with you when I brought you out of Egypt. I made a covenant with you when I brought you into the promised land. I made a covenant with you. I made a promise with you. We made a pact, and you're not holding up your end of the bargain. I'm out. And he released them to their enemies. From there, we have over 400 years where God has not spoken to his people. 400 plus years. No prophet, no priest, no king is hearing from heaven. Man is literally on his own, on the earth, separated from the voice of God. Between Malachi and Matthew, 400 years, we don't have a word from God. He's gone silent. He's gone dark. Spiritual condition is not great. Spiritual condition is depravity. Spiritual condition is now we are doing our best to live by the law. And we've established Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law and scribes that are constantly penning the law over and over. And then we're creating new commandments and we are holding people to conditions and standards that we ourselves are not even living up to. Hypocrites, Jesus calls them when he finally shows up. The cultural condition, we've lost our identity, man. I mean, when you get overthrown that many times, you don't know who you are. You don't know if you're Assyrian. You don't know if you're Greek. You don't know if you're Persian. You don't know if you're Roman. You have no identity whatsoever. Spiritually, separated from God, his voice isn't even in the earth anymore. Then if that wasn't bad enough, if those conditions weren't bad enough, Jesus is born to a young virgin, teenage girl 
that is only engaged to be married and becomes impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Now, I put quotes on it because we know she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to put yourself in those social conditions for a second. In a small town like Nazareth, anybody from small towns, anybody know small towns? What happens to word? It gets around, doesn't it? Word travels fast. I don't know if you heard, but that young girl, Mary, seems like a sweet young girl. Just got engaged last week, but apparently she's pregnant. And she says it was the Holy Spirit that did it. The Holy Spirit impregnated a woman. I think Joseph messed up. I think she might have cheated on Joseph. And even Joseph himself, to make sure that it wasn't blown up too crazy, decided I'll put her away quietly. I'll divorce her. I'll separate. They're just engaged. But back then, engagement was just as good as a marriage covenant. And he said, well, you know, this is quite the scandal. This is quite the issue. Culturally, spiritually, and now even socially, these are the conditions Jesus is brought into. 2020 don't sound so bad after all. Those sound like pretty poor conditions. But yet Galatians chapter 4 says, in the fullness of time, at the completed time, at the right time, at the perfect moment, God saw fit to bring his son into the world. Why let it get so bad? Why let this go on so long? Why let this become such an issue? Is that, are those the types of things that we ask ourselves when we're believing for a promise from God? Spiritually, they're waiting on a king. Spiritually, they're waiting on a Messiah. They are, they are, culturally, they're waiting on a king. They're waiting for someone to come and deliver them from all this tyrannical rule. I mean, to be uh, uh, governed by Roman rule. Caesar is a dictator. He doesn't care what you think. He's a, there's no voting. We, we're not taking the people's best interest into consideration. You belong to us. You're going to do what we tell you to do. We're going to change your culture. We're going to change your thinking. We're going we're to minimize everything you do. You're going to pay taxes to Caesar. You are going to, we own you. We'll let you live in your town, but we're going to turn your town into Roman rule. And slowly over time, they begin to recondition Capernaum, Galilee, Nazareth. All of Judea just becomes an extension of Rome. It's a little Rome. That's why they say, when in Rome, you do like the Romans do. They don't care about your traditions. They don't care about your gods. They don't care about your issues. They set up a king named Herod. And Herod is there on behalf of the Roman Empire. And the only thing he cares about is himself. He's egotistical. He's a maniac. He's crazy. He'll kill his own family members. It's the King Herod that was ruling when Jesus was born. It's the King Herod that when he found out there was another king in town, we killing all babies two and under. Jesus was born 
Jesus' birth instigated a murder spree of the most innocent of lives. These are the conditions. These are the conditions. You ever had a promise come to pass in your life, but it actually brought challenges with it? It actually started something else that you weren't even thinking about? This is, and all of this, Galatians chapter four says, in the fullness of time. What's that mean? God knows what he's doing. What's that mean? It's not a mistake. What's that mean? It's an appointed time. God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly where he's at on the map. He knows exactly the condition of his people. He knows exactly culturally what's happening in their nation. He knows exactly spiritually the mess that they're in and the chasing that they have on their hands trying to keep the law, but they can't keep the law and they're being held to the law by people that don't even keep to the law. He knows exactly what he's doing with this young girl named Mary. He knows exactly, he told Mary, you have found favor in the Lord's eyes. Favor that brought scandal. Favor that brought a poor reputation. Favor that brought questioning of what are you doing? Favor that impacted her newly engaged husband. Come on now. I'm just trying to set a setting. I know this isn't on your nativity scene at home. I know that you don't have, you know, all this stuff set up. And, you know, we don't, sit, we don't tell our kids the Christmas story and talk about, you know, these are, these are not the issues you bring up, but this is what God is doing. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, God is up to something. He's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. But, but, but the conditions, the conditions, the setting, the backdrop to the birth of Jesus. He goes on to say in Galatians chapter 4, Start with verse four again. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Watch this. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. The whole reason he sent one son, he didn't send his son, he sowed his son. And when you sow something, you sow one of something to reap it back exponentially. You don't sow one orange seed to get one orange back. What do you get back? An orange tree that produces lots of oranges, multiple. So God said, I'm going to sow a son. And I'm going to get back more sons, more daughters that will rule and reign on the earth. This is the big picture. This is the global picture. This is what is going on when Jesus says, I'm sending, I'm sowing, I'm bringing my son to the earth, putting myself in flesh to redeem mankind, to get more sons and daughters. That's why you're royalty today. That's why you're a son and a daughter of the king today. That's why you can live righteously in his kingdom today. Because he saw fit to send his son. His only son. His son was the only thing he only had one of. Think about it. 
is the creator of the world. He's got everything. And he gave up. You know how it is when you only have one of something. Right? Ask a kid to share a toy when they've got two of the same kind. They're liable to do it. Ask them to share the only one they have. You might get a different response. And God said, I'm going to send my only begotten son. And the condition and the setting is awful. The setting is heartbreaking. The setting is laden with challenge and laden with murder and laden with separation and laden with brokenness. And he says, this verse coming back. See, see, really 2021 is the year of 2020. Right? Isn't that what they say? Hindsight is 2020. You won't even know what God was doing this year until you get into the next one. Right? It's not until you back out and you see the bigger picture and you can look back and you can see what God was up to. Galatians is being written after the fact. And he's saying, look, I know at the time it looked like a mess. I know at the time it did not look like this was the right setting. This was the right condition. This was the right instance. But God had a meaning through all of it. You know, Jesus fulfilled every single prophecy, every single Old Testament prophecy written about him. Is that amazing or what? Not one person got it wrong. Man, you can never challenge me on the validity of the Bible. You know, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation was written over the span of 1,600 years. 1,600 years. Penned by over 40 authors, most of which who never even knew each other. And not one time do they disagree. Not one time do they blow it. Not one, not one prophecy went unfulfilled. I mean, Jesus fulfilled every single prophecy. Even down to the not one bone in his body would be broken. The way that he was murdered, the way that he was hung, every event that went up, he was prophesied about throughout the Old Testament and not one time did they miss it. That's incredible. I can't get two people on Facebook to agree about anything, much less 40 different authors over 1,600 years. And not only that, but they confirm each other. They build on each other. It just, it just mounts up, and by the time you get to the end, it's like, my gosh. The truth of God's word, the validity of Scripture. Go to Luke chapter 4. I'll show you one of these prophecies. Luke chapter 4. It's a very simple message. My historical rant is over. But I hope that you understand a little bit of the setting by which Jesus came into this earth because it's going to make sense here in a minute. It's going to make sense how God operates, the times that he chooses and picks to do his will, to perform his will. He's still working. Even when I don't see it. You know, Mary could have been saying that. Mary was pregnant and was declared in the late stages of her pregnancy. Her and Joseph had to travel all the way to Bethlehem for a census counting by the Roman Empire. They get there and there's not even a place to stay. 
Jesus is born in a barn. I mean, even down to the physical building Jesus is born in, nothing's lining up. Kings aren't born in barns. You were born in a nicer facility than Jesus was. (laughs) With better care. And then you've got animals lowing, right? We know all the songs. What in the world is a drummer boy doing at the house of an infant baby? Jesus just fell asleep for a nap, and here comes the drummer boy banging on his time for a drum solo. Y'all kidding me? The settings we the settings we put up. The 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 the. But yet the angels come and they magnify God. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Peace and goodwill toward men. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is Jesus. He was brought up, he was raised in that small little town of Nazareth. Nazareth, geographically speaking, was, there was nothing important about Nazareth. In fact, one person, I think it was Nathaniel, even responded to to someone that said, man, have you heard about Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth? And Nathaniel said, Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. That's, that's some kind of reputation. Any of y'all live from a town that nothing good comes out of? That's how they're known? Yeah, I'm not going to name any towns. I'm not going to offend anybody. But Nazareth, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. And as was his custom, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now remember, he's standing up in church. As was his custom, Jesus goes to the pulpit, goes to the podium. He opens the Old Testament, the scripture, okay? They obviously didn't have all that we have. They had the Old Testament. That was the book of the law. And he pulls, okay, Isaiah 61, okay? We're in Isaiah 61. Pulls it open and begins reading this prophecy that had already been given years before his birth. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. One translation reads, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, when you're in a dire situation, in a dire condition, in a, in a, in a, in a serious uh, circumstance, just surrounded by brokenness, surrounded by issues, and some man that was born in Nazareth, nothing good even comes from, I mean, God couldn't even have had Jesus grown up in a prominent place. He picked a small little town where nothing good comes out of. I mean, to, down to the, the smallest minute detail. 
This is a broken situation. And Jesus shows up on the scene. And he's reading scripture. And everybody in the crowd is like, amen. We believe that day's coming. Yeah, to proclaim. One day we'll see the brokenhearted healed. One day we'll see the sight to the blind restored. One day we'll see the lame walk again. Yeah, we're, yeah, that, that's great, Jesus. That's a good scripture. That, that's a good one to read. One day it's coming. Then he closed the book, verse 20. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. He gives the book back. And he goes and he sits back down in the chair. And everybody in the room is looking at him. And he says, are you ready? From his seat in the chair. After he's read the scripture, he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled, is fulfilled, is fulfilled. You know what that word fulfilled is? The same word fullness that we just read in Galatians chapter four. Complete, conclusion, done. We're there is what he's saying. Everything I just read you, It's there, proclaiming liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, uh, uh, liberty to those who are oppressed, healing the brokenhearted, preaching good news to the poor. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. And today, that scripture has been completed. You can check that one off, it's done. That one is in the past now. That's not the future. And you know what everybody's thinking? What? Who are you? Well, what was your name again? G- are you Jesus? Jesus? All bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? It's it's a very simple question I have today. Could God be redeeming something in your life right now? Could he be doing something in your life right now? I know it's 2020. I know the challenges we've all faced. I know the things that are happening, going on around us. I know that there's brokenness. I know that there's reconciliation needed. I know that there's healing that's needed. I know that there are very real fears and dangers out there in the world. I know, but what if these were the prime, ripe conditions for God to do his greatest work? What if this was the very setting the very context, the very backdrop God needed to perform the greatest miracle he's ever done. I mean, come on. It it takes faith now to see favor over fear. It takes faith to see favor over all the stuff that's happening right now. But when he says this is the year of the Lord's favor, this is being fulfilled in front of you as you watch. Would you believe him? 
because these people didn't. These individuals, see, if I, if, I, if I told you God's, I mean, we just sang it, miracle worker, promise keep. But how many of you had a future tense, a, a future image? Oh, I, I know one day he'll make a way. I, I, I know one day he'll redeem that promise. I, I know one day he'll heal that issue. I know one day he'll restore that relationship. What if I told you he was doing it right now? What if I told you he was redeeming it right now? What if I told you that you don't have to believe for it off in the future? It's working right now. Your healing's manifesting right now. Restoration is manifesting right now. God is never late. He's not behind. He just uses different indicators than we do. See, this is why we can't live by what we see. This is why we can't live by what we hear. This is why we can't be moved by what's going on around us. I know everybody else is. You can't. You don't get to. You don't get to operate the way the world operates. You don't get to respond to every news outlet that projects whatever they want. You don't get to operate by fear. You don't get to, to, to seclude yourself and, and, and uh, 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 stay away from certain issues. We meet them head on because we are the answer. We are the hope of the world. And he's redeeming it. He's working it. And today... He's moving. I don't need to see indicators in the natural. I don't need to get a different report on the news. I don't need certain things to go away. He's working right now. He's moving right now. Jesus stands up in the middle of chaos. In the middle of being ruled by an evil dictator. In the middle of losing everything. In the middle of seeing no light at the end of the tunnel. 400 years, God has been silent and he opens the book and he says, today's the day. He says, today's the day, y'all. Today's the day, y'all. You better get ready. That scripture I just read, it's fulfilled today. It's completed today. It's working today. It's in operation today. It's no longer just ink on a piece of paper that we just read and, oh, one day, won't that be so nice when, when the Messiah comes, the King comes. But now here's the issue. Here's the challenge. Would you recognize redemption if it came? Would you recognize it? Or would we miss it? Would we miss it like these people? See, they said, is this not Joseph's son? Well, he just told them, I'm the Messiah. Messiah literally means the anointed one and his anointing. That's the Messiah. I'm the anointed one. I'm not just Joseph's son. You can measure me by my natural standards, but God has given me a spiritual identity. And that spiritual identity is, I'm the king. The spiritual identity is, I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for, believing for, reading about, hearing about. I'm here in the flesh in front of you, and I have come to redeem you. And more did not believe than those that did believe. More. 
the coming of Jesus did not meet their standards. Does God have to meet your standards with the redemption he brings in your life? With the re- do you have standards of who God can use and how he's going to do it and how much he's going to give you? Have you already told God how he can operate in your life? And so it even says, scooting down to, to verse 28 after he speaks some more. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. They are throwing out the answer to their issues. They're throwing out the anointed one. They are are, uh, removing, rejecting the very one that just told them, I'm here to fulfill this verse, this passage. I'm the redeemer. I'm the restorer. I'm the anointed one. And they said, nah, it can't be. You're just Joseph's son. You just come from Nazareth. You don't measure up. You, you were born in a manger. You, you couldn't, your parents couldn't even find a place to stay. Your, your birth actually was the, was brought a whole scandal to the family. We still question how you even came to, into this world in the first place. That's reality, guys. And he's the one that steps up. He's the one. Possibly a man born out of wedlock. He's the one. That is the anointed one. The Messiah. This this guy. You know how many times Jesus was labeled a lunatic. Jesus was labeled a maniac. Jesus was labeled uh, a devil, casting out devils. Go look at some of the things they said about Jesus. And eventually it was what he said about himself that put him on the cross. Blasphemy. And they used the Roman rule to appeal to the governor, Pontius Pilate. They used that Roman dictation. They used the scenery of the time. They used the setting of the time as what instigated the murder of Jesus. They said, yeah, I, I wonder what's going to happen when, um, when Caesar finds out that you've got a guy down here calling himself a king and you're just letting him run around. Because Pontius Pilate was washing his hands and he said, I don't, I don't see anything wrong. Is he crazy? Yeah. Does he say a bunch? But I don't see anything worthy of crucifixion. And they said, well, I wonder what Caesar would say. And that motivated Pontius Pilate to say, okay, fine. I'll make a deal with you. I'm going to bring to you two men that ought to be murdered. You pick one. And they picked the murderer. They picked the one that actually had sin. All this is the setting by which God did the greatest miracle this earth has ever seen. What am I trying to tell you today? I'm trying to tell you that your natural circumstance, your external conditions are never to be an indication of what God is doing in our lives and ultimately in the earth. I'm here to tell you today, 
He will fulfill his scripture. He will bring his promise to pass. No word ever returns void. No word ever fails. No word ever goes unaccomplished. When he speaks, he works. And he's working in your life through the words you have. And it's not somewhere in the future. He's the way maker now. He's the promise keeper now. He's the miracle worker now. He brings healing power now. He's restoring now redeeming now it is time to stop being moved by what's happening around us it's time to put our foot in the ground as the church of the living God and get our eyes off of what's going on around us and get your ears off of uh, quit tuning in to what the world is saying and what the world is doing Start tuning into the voice of God. Start tuning into the Holy Spirit. Start tuning in to His Word. You want to go into this? You want 2021 to be fruitful? You want it? To, I'm not proclaiming what it is. I'm not saying it's the year of this or the year of that. You let God tell you what that year is going to be. And you can know He's going to do it now. It's not somewhere off in the future. It's what God wants to work right now. Reconciliation now. Restoration now. Worship team, if you'd come. Deliverance now. Freedom now. Hope now. I'm, I am tired of seeing the church be moved and live like the world does. That church will impact no one. That kingdom will impact no one. We belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We belong to a kingdom that cannot be moved. We belong to a kingdom that cannot be destroyed. We'll never you always you have an everlasting kingdom and an everlasting king reigning in that kingdom. I'm not moved by political mess. I'm not moved by the racial mess. I'm not moved by the, the struggles and the challenges that, are, that our world is facing. I'm not moved by viruses and sicknesses and symptoms and government overreach and taxes and economy and healthcare and you name it. We're not moved by that stuff. Today the word is fulfilled. Today the word, the redemption is here. The restoration is now. The reconciliation is before you. He said, my kingdom is at hand. You know what that means? It's within reach. It's within reach. He's not dangling promises out for you to just blissfully hope one day they come to pass. The Bible tells us that our hope is our anchor for the soul. The, the Bible hope is much stronger than the world hope. The Bible hope is not this, I hope it happens. You know, the world uses the word hope with more of a context of most likely won't. That's why the world tells you to don't get your, don't get your hopes up. I'm, I'm here to tell you today, if you don't get your hopes up, there's not much hope for you. 
you will not make it without hope. Faith, hope, and love. You will not make it without hope in these last days. What's Christmas? It's a story of hope. And God didn't wait for this blissful, beautiful backdrop. We make it beautiful because you don't celebrate darkness. You don't celebrate destruction. You don't celebrate depravity. We, we fix it up. We put lights on it and we put bows on it and, and, and we, we do the things to help us celebrate it. But God wasn't waiting for the lights to be lit. God wasn't waiting for everybody's spirits to be joyful. God, God came in the middle of the brokenness, in the middle of the, the disheartedness, the, in the middle of the hopelessness. So today, what is God showing up in the middle of? What is God showing up in the middle of in your life today? What are you looking at to be an indicator? What are you looking at to determine if God is moving? Just like we're about to sing right now, even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, He's working, He's moving, He's shifting. What is He doing in your life even though it doesn't look like it? Come on, I just want to give us five, ten minutes, if you would stand with me. And I want us to get focused on what God is doing. Get fixed on what God is saying. So, one of the things that me and my wife have really been laid on our heart for the past probably month or so is this word hope. And Jerrion was in our staff meeting and she said, I want to be the one with the most hope in the room. And what the one who has the most hope in the room has the most influence, has the most life. And so obviously we're in Christmas time and we were studying it out and obviously the birth of Christ and talking with our kids, but we realized the last day the world could feel hopelessness was the day before Christmas, the day before Christ returned, because that's the plan that God put in motion. But we look around this world and we see so many people that are just laying and staying in hopelessness and that feel like they have no hope. There's nothing left for them. But obviously we know that in Christ, in the kingdom of God, there's so much life. There's so much that they have never tapped into. And so we were at the hospital three weeks ago with Isaac. Man, Lord. But one of the things that laid on my heart is every time we show up, we see the hopelessness. We see the parents that are dealing with so much more stuff than we could ever imagine. But one thing we decided to do is we said, Lord, let us bring the most hope into this room. And we were able to, just for the few six, seven hours that we were there, talk to so many people and they just opened up and just, hey, how are you doing? How have you been this year? How's things going in your department? And man, those people were just hungry and they were just drawn in. We had a doctor come in and sit with us for 30 minutes. And he said, oh man, I, I've got to go, but I will be back to talk to you guys because we were bringing hope into a hopeless situation. 
things that people had no idea. We've gone in there before for just a checkup. And they've come back in, they said, hey, so we can't tell you a lot of things, but we just wanna know, can we give your information out to the people next door because they're dealing with something you just went through? And they said, they have an infant that is just born. We can't tell you much about it, but can we have, the, can we give you their, con, or can we give your contact to them? We said, absolutely. Because we want to be the one that brings the most hope because that's what the kingdom of God is here for. That's what us as children of God, you are the light in the darkness. And when he says you are, we sing that way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, that's who he is to you, but you are his vessel to now put it into motion. And so I just wanna encourage you, be the most hope in every situation. Be the one that chooses. Today, I'm gonna choose a different perspective. Yeah, things might look really bad around us. Things might look terrible, but you know what? I know a God who's still good, who still sits on his throne, even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it. Man, Daniel had a prayer and he prayed and fasted. Nothing happened for 21 days, but God was moving in the unseen realm, moving things, making things happen. And that even when he wasn't seeing the change, God was moving on his behalf. And that's what he's doing for every one of his children that submit to him and say, God, use me today. Let me be the hope beacon for somebody else. And don't just have a conversation with somebody that says, hey, how are you? Good, see you later. Man, allow the Holy Spirit to disrupt your day. Disrupt those opportunities that when you're walking through the store, say, God, use me. Here I am. And I'll tell you this, there will be people that will hunt you down to say something's different about you. What is it that you have that I don't? And man, you can have a conversation and say, well, there's a king I serve. And he's way greater than any situation that's going on. He's way greater than any government that I'm submitted to. That he is the unfailing, unchanging God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hope. Hope. We've got to be people of hope. We have to be people of hope. Look, if you don't have hope, you can't give hope. And you might be ending up in situations that seem hopeless. That means it's minus hope. And you're the one to bring it. You're the one to bring it. So I just want to take a moment. We're just going to worship him. He's the one that gives us our hope. He's the reason why we don't just celebrate Christmas. We celebrate hope. We celebrate a reason to believe again. A reason to know that what we are believing, what we're standing for, what we believe and live by, this isn't off one day in the future, far, far away. I just hope I can make it to the end. It's right now. Even when I don't see it, I can have hope. Even when I don't feel it, I can live with hope. Even though it, it's all falling apart around me, I still have hope. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.